my values, but I'm certainly willing to compromise to get things done. You know, if I have to make compromises to improve in the direction of improving our healthcare, I'm happy to. If I have to make compromises in terms of improving our educational system, I'm happy to do those things. But I will not compromise on a vision and I will not compromise on, on the goal and I think I will not and I will not compromise on on the future that I think is like Nancy Pelosi's like the Rousseau of the Democratic Party and AOC is like the Marx postmodernist Nietzsche type. Huh. I like it. You know, I, I think about AOC a lot. Um, yeah, I know you do. <laughs> she's a huge part of the party right now. Which is so weird. And it's it impresses me how she did it. I have my ideological differences with AOC. Like, there's no doubt oh, about it. Oh, you think? It. Okay, listen, dude. Like, there's... AOC is unlike anything the Democrats have really seen in the modern era in terms of a purely ideological individual. And now we have two of them. I think Ilhan Omar's in the same camp. They're both, they're both seeking out different things, but they're both very ideological in yeah. nature. Yeah. Well, I think they're... Uh, Ilhan Omar... Um, you know, the issues that she talks about frequently are issues that are very important to a very Who, specific... Ilhan? Yeah. Oh. Uh, the issues she talks about are very important to a very specific part of the party. It's not very, it's, it's issues we all care about as Democrats, but it, you know, they're not high polling issues or anything. Um, they're the very like progressive social issues. And, um, you know, the whole party just doesn't care about that stuff. And so she appeals to that part of AOC's base, but not so much that how do we fix the Midwest? How do we, how do we d deal with those domestic issues? The economic stuff. Yeah. That's a very big part of AOC's base. Um, you know, that's the part that her and bernie really see eye to well, eye she on. actually she um she got a p I, I don't know if it was a phd but she definitely majored in economics aoc yeah she yeah. it was one of her majors i think she majored in that and foreign relations or something mm -hmm. like that international relations um so she's a very economics driven politician yeah. i mean that's always been her platform yeah and the uh we, we were just talking like the philosophy that actually underlies a lot of her worldview is very much economics driven. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, boy, do they love attacking her. I don't have a deep response to what you just said. Um, <laughs> I don't, I'm being completely honest with you. I don't have a complete, like a deep response, but, mm -hmm. um, I, this almost gets more into the politics of AOC. Um, very inconvenient for the old guard. Very. And, and I, I'm not going to give an opinion on whether or not I think that's good or bad. It has its perks. It has its, it's drawbacks. Um, and if I take an opinion on that, half the party's going to hate me either way. Um, <laughs> well, that, she, that actually, that's interesting that you say that because that's really how it is. It is. It's divided the Democratic Party into sort of the, like, you know, the kids who are playing on the lawn and yeah. then Nancy Pelosi coming off yelling, get off my lawn. Yeah. I mean, that, that's really well, how it is right that now. That new part of the party, more than anything, they appeal to the, the online folks. Um, oh yeah that's where yeah, their base sure. is is twitter mm. um not necessarily a good thing or bad thing just that's one thing i will say is it makes them incredibly powerful because they are uh they are motivated they are off the sidelines they're warriors and when aoc tells them to jump they jump and have um, you seen how many followers she has on twitter no it's unbelievable she, for a freshman in congress to have i think it's like 2.3 million followers yeah. or something like that that's unreal yeah. it might be three 
I right um, now, but... I want to come back to that really quick, but just a little side story. On swearing-in day for all the Congress people, I was down at the Capitol. I wanted to go see my, my new congresswoman being sworn in and stuff. And when we were walking from the Longworth building, Longsworth, Longworth, Long, Longsworth, when we were walking from there to the Capitol... We saw Ilhan Omar. Oh, really? And to see a freshman in Congress with a media pool that big following her, they were chasing her down. Wow. She's a freshman in Congress. That's unreal. And and so getting back to AOC, the part that does scare me about AOC, and I'm willing to be honest about this and even have it recorded forever, <laughs> um, the part that scares me, and I think some people in dark blue districts fail to understand this, is the effect she has on swing district democrats because fox news is not spending their nights talking about the all the blue dog democrats we elected this past session who appeal to those moderates they're only talking about aoc they're talking about the the further left stuff aoc is doing so you know the 60 year old man who's sitting at home retired watching fox news every night he doesn't think that my new moderate congresswoman is up there being moderate he thinks that she's up there voting with AOC. The entire party is being broad, broad brush stroked. I don't know if that's the way of saying that. With AOC, AOC, AOC. Well, they're allowing her to define the party, they and are. she wants to define the are party. Are they allowing at the same her? Time. The media is allowing her. The media. The party is not. Well, I, I've I've seen a lot of comments and and tweets and stuff that say. Uh, AOC is the greatest thing that's ever happened to the Republican Party. Yeah. And I think there is some truth to that because they're. They're giving her a lot of attention, but the media, I think, is the real harbinger of her popularity. Yeah. I mean, they are head over heels for AOC. And I think that's partially due to the fact that her victory was a bit historic, given oh, yeah. her age. Oh, my gosh. Incredibly and the historic. fact that her she has such a heavy presence on social media, that's what the media is paying attention to. It's not like who's, you know... Who's going to appeal to those Midwesterners? Yeah. It's, you know, who's creating the most buzz right now? And AOC definitely fits that You can tell category. how shocking her primary victory was. Um, I hope I'm not wrong on this, but I was reading about how you can tell how shocking it is from how little money her primary opponent spent against her because he thought he had it in the bag. He thought, I don't need to worry about her. Yeah. Some 27-year-old bartender. I'm not scared of her. And she ran this grassroots campaign. Let's knock on every door. Let's text every voter. Let's call every voter. And it was behind the scenes, low budget, but it worked. And, and the reason it worked, it would not work anywhere. It worked because it was a dark blue district. Yeah. You know, there's a huge progressive, you have a much bigger progressive population in those districts. It's not D versus R like my district, where there's about 50-50. It's... It's 90-10, but in that 90, it's split progressive and moderate. So there's room for AOC in America in those dark blue districts. There isn't in my district. We would never be able to elect a progressive like her in my district. Um, you but, know. But where do you see the party at large going? Do you think they're going to end up turning into a highly ideological party with the likes of Ilhan Omar and AOC, or are they going to ostracize these people? And this is sort of an anomaly and they're going to snap back to the Nancy Pelosi wing. Yeah. So I, I think it's give and take. I think it's always give and take. Um, we always look at, at things like this in, in a static point, 
but it's incredibly over time. Yeah, I guess and, that's true. And and yeah. so right now there's a big progressive stretch on the party. AFC is a big part of that, but let's let's go four years back. Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. Um, he ignited that wing of the party and showed them that if they're more progressive, they don't need to settle for the moderates. There's room for them in the party. They were way more vocal about where they were on that partisan spectrum. Um, and maybe it'll quiet back down, or maybe the progressives will be the louder part of the party for a while. I do not think that'll be the case, though, just because how much both of our parties are guided by money and that corporate money is not coming from progressives or the more libertarian Republican party. That's coming from the business side of the party. So it's money versus loud grassroots voices. That's both parties at all points right now. The progressives are really loud. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I, yeah. Sorry that was long. No, no. I think that was a great response. Uh, I, now I don't have a response to you. (laughs) Um, yeah, well, welcome to Go Wonk Yourself. We are on season two. Episode two. Episode two. Which means that we found the last episode decent, acceptable. Decent. decent. <laughs> good enough to keep it going. We were going to start like we normally do, but we started having a really good conversation while we were setting things up. <laughs> oh, didn't see you there. <laughs> didn't see you there. <laughs> glad, when glad did you join us? <laughs> um, but yeah. So we were just, I mean, we're talking about, we were talking about kind of the conservative party or Republican party and Democratic party, this, these shifts we're having in the party. Um, and Republicans pointed out about the Democratic party so often, and I think they're ignoring how bad it is in their own party. Um, the anti-Trump movement is alive and well, and, and the Tea Party is still alive and well, too. They might not brand themselves as the Tea Party much anymore. But even in local party units, I see it. It's it's the old guard Republicans who are moderates and still are with their feeling on Trump is like, I guess in public we need to pretend to like him, but he bothers us. Well, I want to know who you think has the greatest burden in terms of expectations from constituents right now, because oh, yeah. the the Democrats have a pretty big burden on their shoulders going into the 2020 election because yeah. they kind of have to win. Mm-hmm. against Trump and they also have to do well, you know, at, in Congress and the Senate as well. But but everyone's kind of looking at president right now. And meanwhile the Republicans, I think the expectation was kind of set going into the Trump presidency that there was going to be a lot of sort of old Republicans who were going to, you know, object to him mm-hmm. and that there's going to be basically the usual wings in the Republican party aside from that with this new sort of Trump Trump-esque uh ideology question mark uh yeah but yeah but but who do you think has the greatest burden right now i think it's i i would say the democrats have a much bigger burden going into 2020 than the republicans do yeah and that's why i think a lot of people are paying more attention to the party composition and the party uh coherence yeah. of the democrats right now rather than the republicans so i totally think we do um and I have several points I want to make on this. For one, Republicans should be scared because when Trump's gone, the people, there are two choices, two things that could happen. Either that part of the party disappears again, you know, that silent majority, which a lot of them didn't vote before Trump. Trump mm-hmm. had a lot of new voters or yeah. people who hadn't voted in a while. Do those people keep showing up? Um, and if so, how are you guys going to continue to please them? And then on top of that, 
um, what if they stop showing up? We saw what happens in 2018 when they stopped showing up because not only were, was Dem turnout higher than usual, Republican turnout across the country, it was mixed. In some districts, mm-hmm. it was higher than usual, but in others, it was it was lower than usual for, for a midterm. Um, and that's why we, we picked up so many seats. So, so the Republicans should be nervous about the two things, the two options they have moving forward after post-Trump. That um, second point I'm a little less concerned about, really? though, because those people are driven by Trump the, Trump the guy, not Trump the party. Yeah. So when you, have the, when you look at these congressional elections, those people aren't Trump. They might be saying exactly what Trump is saying, but there is something about Trump himself, Trump the guy, that sparked this movement. Yeah. And that's going to bring out a lot of those... It might not bring all of them out. There might be some who are, you know, who are done with him. But I think, in general, his most loyal base is coming out because it's Trump. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Um, and so that's what I'm kind of concerned about. Not concerned. I'm happy about it. But but do they keep showing up for non-Trumps? Um, and that's really bad for the party if they don't. Um, and But I do want to get back to your Democratic point. We, are, we definitely have a bigger burden right now. Um, Democrats are all trying to pander to both sides. It's like they already have them. A lot of them already have their like good moderate base. I'm gonna sneeze. A lot of them already. One more time. Okay. A lot of them already have their really good moderate base, but like they also want to hold on to those progressives, so they're pandering to them a lot harder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of the moderates are just trying to like stay low key with how moderate they are. Like they're not out loud and proud. Like I'm moderate, yeah, right? But the progressives are. Um, and and so. Yeah, the, the Democrats have a bigger burden because they, you know, the the progressives are really holding people accountable because there's a strong progressive cult community in every single congressional district. Well, and now that they've put all their eggs in the Mueller basket and that's that hasn't materialized into anything, I think they have something. I think that increases the burden even more because now they're looking around saying like, wait, we actually have to come up with something sub- substantive going into this election. We have to offer something. We can't just hinge all of our bets on this Russia collusion garbage. I kind of wanted to talk to you about was the Mueller report, because I think that's going to hurt Democrats a bit after their Russia collusion, delusion, confusion. Oh my God. uh, (laughs) uh, Nothing actually came out of it uh, of substance as of yet. Have you read the report? I I didn't know the report was public. (laughs) <laughs> you have this was your rebuttal you were talking no. about earlier oh no no i have it's not like a one-liner Zing. eddie brought up the Mueller report and i i said i hope you do bring it up because i want to talk about it um we don't know what's in it for one um i but do you really think anything's gonna? no it's not like he's i i never thought it was gonna like come out and they were gonna like put trump in handcuffs right then you guys um, should listen to some old podcasts. Oh my god! I encourage you I, to go back. I never thought it'd be that extreme and dramatic, but it also doesn't exonerate him of wrongdoing. Well, it exonerates me from having to streak the quad. No, so. it doesn't. We didn't say specify Mueller report. Now Adam Schiff and he'll lead the part with Russia, but then the other ones, um, what's his name? Uh, I can't think of his name. The guy who uh, gave that really good speech. He was the one who was the chairman of the committee that had um, subpoenaed Cohen. Um, but anywho, so like, um, Adam Schiff is going to go hard on him, man. And the Southern District of New York is going to go hard on him. Um, and he is far from being through his legal troubles. 
I really do believe so. Well, he's far from being outside of an investigation, but I don't think this is going to materialize into anything more. I mean, the point is, if you look back at the past, you know, year, the media and the Democrats have been putting all of their eggs into this basket. They were so sure that Trump colluded with the Russian government to win the election. They wouldn't And it became that, such an echo chamber that they allowed themselves to dig them dig their heels into this conspiracy theory. And now it's come up as nothing yet, but I don't think anything Okay. At this point Trump did not collude with Russia, and they're not going to come out with yes, Trump colluded with Russia. So if you think that the fact that we haven't seen the actual report yet indicates that Trump may have colluded with Russia, I I don't know, that might be a bit of a stretch. I don't I'll settle for obstruction of justice, man. That's all I need. That's all I need. Obstruction of what justice? Oh, my gosh. And and my whole thing is, like, think about how many people directly, his inner circle, are going to prison, are in the process of pleading guilty, are have already been indicted. Like, y'all still call Hillary guilty, but nobody around her, except for Wiener. Um, not, nobody else around her got indicted from uh trey gowdy's committee she should have been oh my god well she wasn't and (laughs) and everyone around trump has been um everyone there are very few people still remaining well hey i mean he had some shady shady guys in his inner circle i will i'll admit to that manafort but do you really believe that manafort belongs in prison for life or do you think that's a bit oh, much? <laughs> I just can't believe. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't see a guy like that. I don't even... feel safer now that he's locked away. I, I don't feel like I can sleep better at you know night now. He needs to be in jail is is what's his face? The Roger Stone? Roger Stone. <laughs> Why does he belong in the slammer? I think he is. Isn't he getting put away? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. He is a problematic dude. I like careful <laughs> you love him i don't love him i i envy what a strategist he was um i think it's overstated i think everyone really watches think so? that documentary get me roger stone and it paints him out as like this hugely machiavellian type character who's who's pulling all the strings but i think in reality he he puts on that facade but in reality i don't think he has as much he was the new england political director for ronald freaking reagan when he was like 19 years old not anybody does that no i'm not i'm sure i mean look he's savvy politically but i don't think he's the guy who got trump elected you really don't think so i don't think so i give him a lot i i think that his role is understated by like the media i never heard about roger stone yeah well he's kind of a disgraced uh public individual with the media yeah he is um but i mean anyways like i i just saw actually a few minutes before we got started that uh mnuchin or however you say it he um <laughs> did i not say it anywhere near right mnuchin no i think you're right okay um <laughs> that he didn't turn over trump's taxes it's elijah cummings that's the name of the congressman i was thinking of um elijah cummings mm-hmm subpoenaed the tax records and he didn't turn them over 
He said they couldn't prepare So is that where the Russian collusion is? No, I'm just saying <laughs> that there is some shady stuff going down, man. Oh, no doubt. No We're doubt. never going to see He's a New York businessman. No, you're not. No one's ever going to see them. But look, he was a New York businessman. It's If you expected him to have the, you know, record of an angel, especially financially, I think you're kidding yourself. Uh, but I think, in essence, he's probably just not as wealthy as... He says he is. And I think that's I'm the thinking. main reason. I think it's an ego thing. Yeah. So it might not be that he's running a criminal enterprise or that he's going to be put in cuffs as soon as his tax returns are released. But I, I think it would it would create a lot of memes, perhaps, if he did. Um, in our own party, Bernie Sanders has still not released his tax returns. People have asked for him and asked for him and asked for him. And, it, and I, I think, think he said he's going to. One now. year. He said he'd give only one year's. <laughs> Or I think he did give really? one. Um, and then he made this, he gave this statement where he was like, yeah, I'm a millionaire. But if you write a best-selling book, you could become a millionaire too. He should have just pretended to talk on his phone. Did you see that video? No. Oh my God. This reporter was trying to ask him a question. And so he just takes out his phone and pretends to be talking. I'm going to get beat up by the Bernie bros, man, but he's gotten really grouchy. Ugh. Well, he's always been grouchy. I know, but what are you talking about? Oh, and then there was those videos that resurfaced of him, like, praising the Soviet Union. Him, Are you serious? Him, him vacationing there. I my, mean... My media doesn't show that stuff. <laughs> your media, your media, my media, yeah. My news so channel true. doesn't show that stuff. Um, but, it will, no, in, in a debate with Hillary Clinton, so that would have been, what, four years ago? He said he was going to release them, and he didn't. Yeah. What do you think's in there? I you think, think he's he, just one wealthy dude? Uh, yeah, no, I think he's a lot wealthier than he says yeah. he is, whereas Trump is a lot less Well, we already wealthy. know he has three homes, Bernie. That's not... I didn't expect him to be poor. He's been a senator for how long? No, I'm just saying, though, like, if you are if you think he's from the neck of the woods that he's preaching to, then, I mean, he's not. How often do you think he's actually back home in Vermont? <laughs> <laughs> Frequently? Um. Oh, we haven't seen Bernie since... Uh, 2004 i think it was <laughs> interesting that's a long grocery shopping you know what a fun fact is he um he runs for the democratic primary for the senate every uh-huh. six years and when he wins he declines the nomination and files to run as an independent oh. so too because he knows he wouldn't win if there was a democrat yeah. in the race or the actually the republican is probably who would win um and so he yeah he runs as a democrat and then oh that's funny i I'm not going to get into a whole long tangent about Bernie Sanders, but yeah. What do you well, talk well about? he did. I mean, like you said earlier, he really did spark that sort of democratic socialist wing of the yeah. Democratic Party. But um, so I guess I don't know. Well, I we should probably talk about the college admission scandal because it's it's kind of political, but I I just think it's a really interesting cultural phenomenon and just an interesting case in general. So. Uh, I, I think uh, Lori Laughlin was recently uh, charged. Yeah. Yeah. So she, I was just reading today, I think it was that um, she was offered a plea deal mm-hmm. and didn't accept it because she figured the judge was bluffing. And oh. then he charged her today. And it was a hefty charge, wasn't it? Yeah. Do you think she's going to go to jail? I don't know. I don't know either. That's just so wild to me. Yeah. Um, I don't know my opinion on the scandal. I mean, I, I want to know your opinion. Well, 
AU was not affected. <laughs> well, like, okay, so I actually had this conversation. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but uh, the, we had this conversation, and people were saying, like, oh, well, AU wasn't involved. And I was like, they already have a legal bribing scandal. It's called the Early Decision Program. You really consider that? Yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> you agree to pay whatever. Yeah, it costs. like I'll just give you. You have no idea and, your financial. But, okay, I'm not, I'm not. I'm saying that facetiously, obviously, but it is funny the difference in acceptance rate between early decision and regular decision. It's pretty staggering. It's fair to say President Burwell's never going to come back on our <laughs> podcast now. <laughs> we can cut this part out. If you're listening to this, I'm just kidding. Um, but anywho, yeah, no, I um, my opinion on it. I'm not really sure what my opinion is. Part of me is like. I think everyone's making too big a deal about it. Like, I think it's messed up. But, like, don't you think we all kind of thought that was going on? We all knew it was going on. We didn't on. know exactly what it looked like. But we knew, I mean... But I don't think that's a reason not to be outraged. I mean, that is one corrupt system that accepts yeah. $500,000 for admissions. And, you know, paying people to take your SAT. Uh, you know, look the other way on, S- on like, the, your SAT scores. Uh, you know, pretending to be on an athletic team. I mean, this is some shady stuff going on. And I think it's a, it reflects a greater failure on the universities themselves, both from an administrative side, because obviously taking bribes, allowing bribes to go on, really bad luck. But I think even on a deeper level, the education system as a whole, it speaks ill for it, because the fact that this was able to go undetected in the classroom yeah uh that her daughter i forget what her daughter's name uh was able to get into these or she's a youtuber they, they were right right they were able to get into these prestigious universities and then their academic record doesn't show that yeah. they absolutely don't belong there i think she was at like uc san diego or something some really yeah. good school yeah and so i think that just means like if the only if the only reason to be there and the only hard part is actually getting into the school. And then from there, it's just like you're there and you just get all the benefits and the connections. Then I think that says something really negative about the current state of our education system. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think we should point out that uh, Georgetown was. Yes. Yes. Our, our good friend Georgetown. <laughs> um, I didn't recognize a lot of the names on there. I think a lot of them were like athletes and stuff. Athletes, kids. Um, oh, you mean the names of the people who got... Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's wild that Lori Laughlin was on there. Um, and her daughter, like, made videos about, like, getting into college and stuff and all oh, sorts yeah. of stuff. Yeah. So I just think She said wild. she didn't, like, show up to class at all and, like, yeah. you know... But it, it does get into, like, the state of our higher education system. Um, it's so competitive. It's so wrapped around money nowadays. Yes. Um, you know, that is the primary factor at all times. Um, you know, you fill out an application to get into the college and then you fill out four. It's also so bureaucratized, you know what I mean? Yeah. One day I'll say that word correctly. Bureaucratized. Bureaucratized. Close enough. If I say it slowly, it's better, but, uh, (laughs) um, but but, yeah, I mean, you, you, you have to go through all of these institutions, like, you know, uh, to give your, to give your kid the upper hand. I mean, people were debating, Ooh, that was my phone. (laughs) That didn't sound good. Uh, we're just going to keep going here. Yeah, we are. Uh, there was a debate about SAT, um, and get, and hiring a coach for SAT scores. Cause a lot of people are arguing that that actually doesn't make that big of a difference on 
your actual SAT performance. Uh, so that's that's a debatable thing. But just the fact that you have to go to all these advisors and go through all these, you know, yeah, I, I, institutions basically. Yeah. Um, I don't know how your school was, but in my school, you know, I had to meet with the access advisor. I had to meet with mm-hmm. my guidance counselor. I had to meet with my program coordinator. Um, and I had to fill out all these different forms. And what I was saying yeah. a second ago, you know, I had to fill out more applications for financial aid than to get into the colleges. Um, and, and it just blows my mind. Um, our, our systems of education, I mean, you saw it with for-profit universities. Those existed. Like, there were schools made that they just basically gave you diplomas and made you do some homework. I don't want to be derogatory towards for-profit colleges, but essentially, they were a scam. Um, and it scares me. I mean, our whole system of higher education, um, it's so cutthroat. And, I mean, you see Virginia Tech's football coach is the most well-paid state employee in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, go who's, by the do way. Do you think the attitude towards college as an institution, uh, do you think that trickles down to the student body? Because I'm seeing a lot of that sort of cutthroat, highly stressed, you know, rigid, hierarchical uh, structure, like, on campus. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a reflection of the administrative side and just the attitude towards college in general, or if that's just where our culture as a whole is moving. What do you think? Um, It's very cutthroat. I think we see it here more than many other I'm schools sure. might see it. You know, D.C. is a blood. But there is a general trend oh, that yeah. I'm hearing about. Oh, yeah. Um, the term elitist sometimes comes to mind. Mm-hmm. You were right to say hier- hierarchical. Um yeah, it's all over the place. I mean, and and good on these kids for being able to keep up. I mean, what you need, I was, when I didn't get into Georgetown, <laughs> I was reading the College Confidential where people were posting, you know, what I did to get accepted. So here's my resume, here's, and I got accepted. Here's my resume, I didn't get accepted. And the people who had gotten accepted, you know, they had gone on three mission trips. They had, they had taken, you know, they had the full 30 credits worth of APs with fours and fives on right. their AP tests. Good on them for being able to do that. Um, should our young people be working that hard that early? But that's what I mean. And that's, I think, the education system doing what it should do. Really? And that's, well, it's extracting out the people from society. Like, that. that's a, I mean, Georgetown is a prestigious college. Yeah. So only the best are going to get in. I'm sorry, but uh, it <laughs> looks like you were... Uh, Did you apply? I, I didn't. I didn't okay. apply wow, to Georgetown. Yeah. Raj and I both applied. And- no, I'm sure. I sure what I would have got in, but you know, I just want to go here. <laughs> I'm sending this clip to a Georgetown mission. <laughs> Georgetown mission but, person. But in the instance of a Georgetown or a Yale or Harvard, those are meant to find the people in society who are really going to make a difference. Yeah. And to help them do that and yeah. help them achieve that, because the colleges want to be the school that. Mark Zuckerberg came out of, or, I mean, obviously he didn't graduate, but, you know, just those pioneers, yeah. they want them. Um, so if if that's what the system is, then that's fantastic, I think, especially for the most prestigious. Obviously, I think there should be a college for, you know, other people too. It doesn't have to be the most yeah. competitive environments, but um, especially with regards to liberal arts. But anyway... If the system isn't working that way, though, in which they're accepting bribes and just accepting people who can, you know, pull the strings, Mm -hmm. then it's no longer serving that purpose. And I think that's a real problem. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, And it's crazy. I mean, I don't know how many. Did you just apply to AU? 
Uh, well, I applied to a couple other schools. I applied to uh, Catholic uh, and UMD, but oh wow, I applied early decision here actually. Oh. So <laughs> full disclosure, <laughs> I actually I know did. it's a scam, <laughs> but I signed up for the scam. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's so funny. But, you know, it scares me of, like, the standards now. You know, everyone has 12 schools they apply to now, and they three of them are dream uh, yeah. schools, three of them are reach schools, three of them are, like... They have Excel spreadsheets. With... Yeah. Oh, oh talk to my mom about that. Um, <laughs> she's nuts when it comes to this process. Uh, but, yeah, and we totally see it at AU, and I don't want to spend time talking about, like, oh, everyone at AU is so elitist, but... Um, you're right. It's at every school. I think it's it's you know how can I push my way one step up the up the ladder, um, whether it be here on campus as a hill turned downtown, whatever it may be. You know how can I move from interning for my congresswoman to interning for my senator, uh, or the most prestigious committees or the best p- consulting firms? How do I get into McKenzie? And it it scares me. How often do you see uh, this? This is sort of related, but I, I wanted I want to know your thoughts on this. This just kind of popped into my head. How often are you sitting in class and the person sitting next to you, instead of paying attention or doing their work, they're emailing their internship or they're researching for re, uh, for internships. So they're doing something that's work related outside of school. Yeah. And I'm sure you're guilty of it, but uh, I I want to know like how often you see that. I see it all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I totally agree. Like I, I see people go into the Kogod school of business, mm-hmm. like the lounge, right? When you walk in the building, everyone there is on indeed or <laughs> handshake or whatever it's called. Right. Um, LinkedIn. Yeah. LinkedIn. Oh my gosh. They're all on LinkedIn. <laughs> I get LinkedIn's from like people at AU and I'm like, I have no idea who you are. And you know, they chat everyone at, yeah. at AU. Um, yeah, no, it's incredibly cutthroat. And again, it's always how do I how do I pad my resume just a little bit more? Uh, um, entrepreneur, influencer, <laughs> youth activist. <laughs> no, but I appreciate that kind of culture. And I, there is nothing old people get wrong more than the stereotype about people our age. Cutthroat, like that's all I can think of. Um, we we all want to do good, be good, and and get stuff done and be productive individuals obviously there's what do you think is the cause of that i mean we like we we always get we we do get a lot of shit for being a soft generation because we didn't have like a a great war and we didn't go through like a depression we it's been a pretty prosperous peaceful time and so us being brought up in that we get we get a rep for being soft and not knowing struggle or anything like that. And I think there is some truth to that for sure. Yeah. But where does this, where does, where does this rigid, uh, you know, zero sum game cutthroat, where does that attitude come from? Do you think? Um, I, you know, I'm glad this conversation came from us talking about college and stuff because that's a big part of it. In high school, you are constantly pushed. You can't just go. Th- I think our parents, even it's that small of a gap our parents just went to high school. It was just a thing you did. Mm-hmm. Some folks went off to college, great. But when we go to high school, it's so there's so much differentiation in education. And it's it's even cutthroat in high school now. You have to be valedictorian or you have to be top 10. How many APs can I fit in my schedule? You know, how many online APs do I then register on top of my schedule? How many extracurriculars? What nonprofit work should I do? We are taught to move up the ladder. Um from elementary school like it i mean back home we have 
we have an elementary school you have to apply to. Um, it's wow. a gifted program, and like I went through it, best education I, I could have gotten. But like that's crazy to me that y- I had to be tested to get into an elementary school, uh, and then again in middle school and in high school I had to fill out ten applications for the the different programs we had um, or nine. Um, I don't know how many, but it was a lot. Mm-hmm. And like our parents didn't have that until they applied to college. Whereas we had it in the first grade. I hope I'm not exaggerating and any people older think that I am exaggerating. Because I, I, I really don't think I am. I mm-hmm. mean, I think it's changed so much. It's a high, We have a hierarchy at every level now. Yeah, and I think it's also a comp, uh, combination of a couple sort of broader political and, frankly, economic uh, conditions that is causing this cultural... I don't know if I can call it a shift, but this cultural phenomenon for sure... Uh, one would be that um, economically, the economy is obviously changing a lot. Yeah. And it's changing, it's really swinging towards the service industry away from manufacturing you know, and stuff. Right. Yeah. The, the usual, uh, you know, no skill jobs. So that's pushing, I think, a lot of young people into academia uh, or higher education, rather, because the opportunities outside of that are going to start to shrink. Yeah. Right now, there's great, great opportunities outside of academia i mean uh we hear a lot about you know trade schools and you know you can make six six figures uh without a college education um but are those jobs going to exist in 50 years yeah um i have two opinions on that one those those apprenticeships those hands-on jobs they can't fill what they they can't find enough employees in those jobs um Mm -hmm. I think we've lost a lot of that middle ground. You know, it's either the the low to no skill jobs, uh, food industry stuff like that, um, and then it it jumps over what was most of the kind of work the middle class did: plumbers, electricians, uh, working iron workers, stuff like that. Um, those those you know craftsmen almost I'd call them mm-hmm. that type of job that industry they can't find enough people but you're right i mean we are constantly told hey a high school diploma is not going to cut it anymore a bachelor's degree is the bare minimum now they're saying you've even got to go get uh, a graduate degree and so we're not sending people it's it's one one uh one size fits all go k through 12 and then straight into four years and then go find. But is a that job. because of an actual need for it, or is that oh, because no. of a just a myth we're telling ourselves at this point? I think it was a campaign they created to make more people go to college, and then people took it too seriously. Not actually, but I think the whole system started being built around that new one path for all people. Um, everyone, we should prepare everyone for college. Um, I still think everyone has the potential to go to college, but I don't think that everyone should. Um, you know, I'm from an air, Newport News shipyard, biggest shipyard, biggest shipbuilding facility in the world, mm-hmm. and and they do not have enough people. Um, wow. Yeah, they will pay you to come do their apprenticeships because people are either not nobody's becoming just a skilled craftsman anymore, um, and that's a you know robots aren't replacing those jobs super soon. Not that I want to get back into automation, right? Uh, but but robots aren't no, replacing those point. jobs super soon. Um, well, we don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. Uh, and and so we have a lot of people with these bachelor's degrees 
and the, the market's just so saturated. So I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that's a good way to conclude the conversation on, uh, on uh, the college admissions scandal. Uh, you know, what, what else is going on in the news that you want to talk about? Oh, I have no idea. Don't put me on the spot like this. Um, <laughs> Eddie just really put me on the spot. Well, you know, Eddie, I actually, I really wanted, when we were talking about that the whole time, I wanted to, I wanted to get into not free college, but that whole topic of where do we see college going? Uh, okay. um, Democrats aren't going to stop talking about free co- college anytime soon. No, they're not. And, and we generally, you know, Democrats beg for something for long enough and we start seeing some of it. Democrats have been fighting for healthcare. You know, that was a big push with the Clintons. Um, and then it, it didn't actually happen until 2010. Um, do you think that's going to be the route with college? Do you think that eventually it will start being free? I mean, a lot of states are pushing for it. and Man, I don't know. If it's, if it's free, it's going to be expensive for someone. Uh, right now, college is unbelievably expensive uh, due to a multitude of reasons that I frankly haven't done sufficient research on, yeah. but there's a lot of factors that go into why uh prices are so normal and i don't know if you're uh savvy in that regard no. but uh yeah so the i mean the, the price tag is is certainly an issue and i think if we focus on fixing that then free college might not be necessary i don't know if we can fix that you don't think no i think the way to fix it i think there's so many um free college ha- it's it's you know it's an out there idea um, for one, I think we need to make it so you can do two years of associates, get an associate's degree. I think that should be free. Um, I think our public schools will, in the near future, start being free. Um, and and one of the biggest misconceptions, I think, has to do with the quality of education, that if we make it free, anyone is going to go to these schools and the quality is going to decrease. And I think that is one of the worst arguments because my take on it is, let's say we have 100 kids applying for a college. They only accept 50 students. 50% acceptance rate. What if then college is free, we take down that economic barrier, so then 200 people apply to that public school. Then their acceptance rate lowers. It becomes a more prestigious school because they have they have a better pool now. They have a larger pool to choose from. And those students who maybe were going to be wonderful students but just couldn't afford college, they then have ample access to it. So to me, the quality and the envi- the educational environment increases by making college free, by removing that financial barrier. I don't know. I think that's a, it's an interesting point. But uh, again, like I, I don't know how you would pay for it per se. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> this, no, that, that, I have to laugh because the, what just happened here is literally every conversation with a social spending Democrat, oh it reaches a roadblock. I hate you. Oh, well, I guess we're just going to have to move on. How do we pay for it? We might honestly be able to wrap up. We've been chatting for a decent time. Oh, you're, you're trying to escape now? Yeah. No, I mean, I. this was a fantastic uh, little discussion. Um, next week, we're going to have some more news, some more... Oh, wait, can we talk about the black hole real quick? Oh, my God. So cool. Let's take 30 seconds to talk about the black hole. A picture of a black hole. When was it released? At noon today, right? Uh, this morning, actually. Oh, really? I, I was watching the live stream on the Metro on the oh way here. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Were you watching, like, a live stream of, like, a group of people waiting to see it? 
or was it just no for- i just tuned in when they were right about to reveal it and then like he had the slideshow and he's like and here it is and it just came up and there was like you know the golf claps at the wow yeah but i, I wow. don't even know why we think it's so cool your your tweet was on par space brings people together it does it, it really, it's humbling. I mean, we're, we're yeah. staring at this photograph of something that's larger than our solar system, and yet, you know. 115 million light years away. I don't actually, I came up with that number off the top of my head. <laughs> it's like 11, I don't know how many. <laughs> but, and like, you just kind of looked at it and you didn't know what to think. Yeah. That's a black hole. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, space is crazy but it's also nonpartisan. it is nonpartisan. i and hope mike pence takes us to mars it's not gonna be mike pence space force S- private sector spacex yes so much agree. better or bezos let's not talk bezos is now banned from go walk yourself <laughs> and with that uh tune in next yeah. week uh we appreciate anyone who's uh given us the time of day for season two hopefully uh you enjoyed last episode yeah no i totally agree the next episode will be great it'll be sometime next week uh if there's anybody still listening at 44 minutes and 30 seconds i really appreciate you good night <laughs>